On this episode of Rip from the Textbooks, we cover two murder cases that rock Manila, leaving their victims in pieces. I'm Aaron. And I'm Jess. And today, we're going to be covering the Chop Chop Lady cases. Yes. Yeah. We, I gotta say, we kind of, uh, we went zero to 100 real quick, you know. We dropped Previous... the ball on, <laughs> second, on the second episode. Yeah, we went from, you know, teleportation to, yes, brutal murders. <laughs> brutal murders. Yep. Um, I but honestly, like... uh, it cases like these are uh, pretty rare. Rare enough to the point where, uh, well, to this day, it is still being talked about. I mean, it's pretty, it's famous, to say the least. I mean, infamous. Very, very but, infamous. You know. And, of course, with that, let's head into this very, very gruesome case. It was early morning of May 28, 1967, when the sweltering heat of the summer season began to take hold on the residents of Manila. But a far more insidious crime just laid beneath the surface of the passing cars and pedestrians bearing the summer heat. Along Malabon Street, in Santa Cruz, Manila, a pair of women's legs were found wrapped up in newspaper dated May 14 inside a garbage can by a garbage collector who immediately contacted the authorities. It had been cleanly cut into four pieces, with the collector even describing the legs as being cold, as if it had been placed inside a freezer and noting the pedicured toes as belonging to some, to someone, that was well-to-do. A day later, on May 29, an unidentified headless and legless torso was found along EDSA near Guadalupe Bridge, wrapped in newspaper dated May 23, baffling police even more at both the macabre nature and the severe state the body was left in. It was until later that the body was identified as Lucilia Lalu, whose fingerprint matched that with the body. Now, Lucilia Lalu was as ordinary a person as anyone, having left her hometown of Candaba, Pampanga for greener pastures in Manila, as many others did before her. There, she managed to find a job as a waitress at a small-time night spot. During this time, she had met Anyona, yes, Anyona Vera, a patrolman who was already married, but still decided to have an affair that resulted in a son. But her hard work paid off when she eventually bought and owned the Pagoda Soda Lounge in Rizal Avenue a cocktail lounge and restaurant in one. She found modest success in it as well, and in time, would set up a second business, a parlor shop named Lucy's Beauty House in My Halig Street, Santa Cruz. But with success and money, it bred a more indulgent part of her lifestyle. As investigation furthered, the sordid side of Lucilia's life came to light 
as many of the suspects that were questioned were her various lovers, two of which were considered prime suspects, one of them being a 19-year-old who worked as a waiter at the pagoda. But he claimed to have been drinking with his friends the night Lucilia disappeared, as well as having no motive to kill her, as she was also his provider. Having set up an apartment in Cubao for him that was said to be their love nest. The second was her common law husband, Anyano, who was known for his fits of rage and jealousy, even having an incident of firing his service pistol three times in both the pagoda and Lucy's beauty parlor the month before she disappeared. And finally, there came a third suspect. A dentist, sorry, a dentistry student named Jose Luis Santiano, a son of a retired colonel and had been boarding in the rooms of the parlor, confessing in a handwritten note on June 15 that he had a mental blackout but remembers strangling Lucille, Lucilla, Lucilia. Who he, claimed to, who, who he claimed attempted to seduce him and when he refused, threatened to create a scandal, causing him to lash out and strangle her. Dismembered her body and disposed of it around various parts of the city via commuting, even claiming he had disposed of her head in Diliman, Quezon City, but later recanted that statement, claiming that he was an unwilling witness to the murder, and in fact, three men had committed the murder while a fourth held him hostage with a gun. He was eventually released. With no new suspect or leads, the case eventually went cold. It wasn't until 2005 when an apparent new suspect came to light. George Hodel, a successful physician who fled from the Los Angeles to Manila to escape suspicion of the Black Dahlia murder. A case that was happening at the time. George Hodel Sr. did fit the description of the police, who claimed the suspect had deep medical expertise in cutting up the body, as well as the time frame of the murder being around the same time George was in Manila. Even though many accepted this as a possibility, the case remains open. Oh yeah, Jesus, that was that was heavy, man. Oh my God. <laughs> so apparently, uh, it is. It is. This is most likely a case of, you know, some very uh, lovers' quarrel gone horribly wow. wrong. Yeah, like, you know, it's very unfortunate what had happened, but, like, it is a possibility that, you know, maybe that kind of lifestyle yeah, she's, you know, eventually led to her death. She's, uh, she's having quite a lot of fun from the looks of it. <laughs> yeah, but, you know. It is quite, uh, weird. It is quite strange that we, that, that, uh, I guess, uh, the killer was just look, just happened to have newspapers around. And, like, it's know, quite done, yeah it's like, quite peculiar that uh, that uh, the newspaper had you know i guess the i guess the newspaper is sort of related to the murder 
because of what day it was. Was keeping the parts, and you know, yeah. And I think I think that's way more messed up. For like, yeah, for a second there, keep... I thought you know maybe it's like a calling card, like you know, like it's wrapped in newspaper. But from the looks of it, I think it's just you know they happen to have newspapers in hand. Yeah, but like. It, and it just I, wrapped it. I can get why it was so popular at the time. Like Jesus, it's so. It's like, there's no, there's nothing like this at the time, right? Like, definitely, uh, I think. Definitely. I mean, unlike say other countries such as the United States, uh, you know, we rarely have you know like gruesome murders like these. We don't even have yeah. Victims. We don't even have like serial killers, at least known serial killers, you know. There's probably one like walking the streets, but you know, never got caught. Yeah, you can tell that. I don't know. Like, you can tell that. Well, the police were kind of. Uh, I wouldn't say incompetent, but they they just didn't know how to handle this type of, you know, gruesome murder. I guess. True. Like, I don't. Any of us were prepared for it. Like, like you know, Jesus. When do you ever get like you know a woman's body parts getting scattered around? Yeah, but they're in. Yeah, but apparently their investigation. You know, I think for the most part, I think this is like the best you can get from the looks of it. It's like, oh, we we have a list of suspects, but we have no. But you know, the I think the missing piece, but we don't have the missing piece that would like closely lock this entire case down. Yeah, I think it's too bad. I think too. more messed. Up messed up part is like they never found her entire body it's like those were the yeah. only things that were ever found. i mean they never found the head they never found yeah. the rest of the other yeah. stuff it's like yeah. that's kind of disturbing i know right like, oh. and the yeah. fact that uh, it's come to the point where the black dahlia murders become connected to this case that's quite the uh, that's quite it's interesting kind of to quite, yeah it is it is quite yeah. a stretch you know unless you know, unless George Hodel just somehow, you know, it's like, oh, I can't satiate my, you know, I can't satiate my thirst for killing. Thirst so for I was going to go to the best up... place to yeah. murder and not get caught. But like, if you read more about George Hodel, this guy is like, oh, no wonder it's like his son hates him. He's a he's a piece of shit. If you guys want to look him up, you, you should. It's like, ugh. Yeah. So there's a viable, like, yeah, maybe... It, for me personally, I think that maybe he did it, you know. I wouldn't be surprised to be quite honest, but like maybe he just somehow met the victim and thought he right. would that she would be a, you know, a fitting uh, victim from the looks of it. But if, but if they did, you know, I think you'd think one of the, you know, one of the people that they investigate, one of the people that they asked about, that they asked around, you'd think they would mention this guy, but, you know. Yeah, true, probably. But, you know, it's like, it's like the best thing you can get out of it, like, oh, the best of a bad and maybe it's not. Oh, sorry, you were breaking up for a second there. A best of a what? Oh, sorry. I think for me, it's like the best of a bad situation, like, it's this is the like the most like the one that makes more sense. So, I guess a way to cope with it is like you accept it. And with that, 
Let's proceed to this second case of the Chop Chop Lady Murders. Now this one is a very sensational case that was turned into two movies that came out no more than a year after the incident. The story begins at the day of September 25, 1993. When a man named Demetrio Ravello walked into the National Bureau of Investigation, confessing to participating in the disposable <laughs> disposable in the disposal <laughs> in the disposal of his boss's lover, Elsa Castillo. His boss, an American businessman named Stephen Mark Weishunt? Yes, yes, Stephen Mark Weishunt was a co-worker of Elsa when she worked as an assistant personal manager at Apex Motor Corporation. Rumors of an affair between the two swirled around the office despite both being married, with Elsa even resigning from her position in the company in order to squash the rumors. But the rumors rung true as the two continued to have an affair several months later. But it was in the day of September 24 when Demetrio Ravelo became an unwilling accomplice to Elsa's murder. He had picked her up the day before from her parents' home in Manila and driven back to Stephen's condominium. After running more errands, he was sent home and asked to return the next day as usual. But when the next day came, he was asked by Stephen to pick up black garbage bags. Upon returning to the condo, Stephen had a breakdown and confessed that Elsa had died. Having died from an apparent bangungot the night before, bangungot being commonly known as the sudden death syndrome. He needed help disposing of her body. But when Demetrio reasoned that Elsa's body can be examined and Stephen can't be blamed for her death, he said that he had already chopped up her body. Demetrio, tested for his loyalty, by his employer and out of fear, later helped Stephen stuff the body parts into the garbage bags and subsequently stuffed them into luggages and drove around disposing of each one. Disposing the bags in places such as Santa Rosa, Laguna, and Silang, Cavite, even driving down to Bataan where they discarded many of Elsa's belongings along the highways. The next day, the two men returned to Manila, and when Demetrio returned home to his family, confessed to his wife, who urged him to report to the authorities. They were unbelieving of him at first. Only when they sent out agents to the place where he claimed they disposed of the body, only to have it already be discovered by a group of tricycle drivers, and was already forming a crowd. The rest of Demetrio's statement was later corroborated when they found more evidence of Elsa's belongings, and they were able to arrest and convict Stephen Weishunt of the murder of Elsa Castillo. But Stephen defended himself, even claiming the blood that was found in his condo were from the period stains left by his sister and insisting 
that Elsa had died from the sudden death syndrome or bangungot. But upon further autopsy, it was found that Elsa had died from a fatal stab wound. Oh, rather, he had, she had died from multiple fatal stab wounds on the chest. A possible motive for the murder was the reconciliation between Elsa and her estranged husband, Fred, whom she had spoken over the phone days before her murder. The case was a sensational hit for the media in the year after the murder and subsequent trial. When two movies the preceding year called Chop Chop Lady, the Elisa Castillo story that starred Lorna Talentino and the Elsa Castillo story starring Chris Aquino released in 1994. Both having conflicting portrayals of the victim, but ultimately, she was presented as a tragic victim of circumstances. Stephen was found guilty of the murder and sentenced to life imprisonment before being deported to serve the rest of his sentence in California, leaving the country on February 23, 2013. His sentence was later commuted for good behavior. He has since been blacklisted from the Philippines. In the aftermath, the case of the Chop Chop Lady became stuff of urban legends, warning promiscuous women the consequences of having sordid affairs or even girls who came home too late in the evening, solidifying the impact both cases have had in this country. It's, uh, it, it's quite telling that we had two, not one, but two movies about a gruesome murder. <laughs> I know, right? One it even so starring weird, like... Chris Aquino, a very popular uh, actress here. Yeah, very yeah, popular but like, actress here. I think the bizarre part is like it literally in nineteen ninety four, like the year after, like news of it broke out. Like Jesus. Like so, I, I guess you know Philippine Hollywood does not you know, does not rest. <laughs> Nothing too. It, there's no such thing as too soon from the looks of it. Uh, I think it just showcases like how like these things are like it captures the public interest so much, like you know it became this big like it had two movies, uh, you know. It uh you know considering that an affair was involved, right? Mm. That's the kind of uh that's the kind of stuff that I guess the Philippine public loves to you know the kind of story that Philippine love the Philippine public you know just craves. I mean, sure. have you seen current TV dramas lately? I mean, even uh, back then in the 2000s, we've had like these storylines where, you know, X, you know, X woman was cheating on on this uh on her husband or something or X woman was cheating on her oh, no, uh on her boyfriend or vice versa. You know, yeah, boyfriend was cheating on a girl, uh, on his girl rather. Yeah. Lol. The protagonist is bully turns out to be her sister or some shit. It's like you know stuff like man. that. So, I think really that's kind of why we we've had uh, you know why this case this particular case was kind of um was kind kind of had that spotlight to it. It's I guess uh, so. kind like, of weird. You know, yeah, it's like it's the stuff of like. When you hear about these kinds of cases, it's like, this is the shit you see on TV. Definitely, definitely. You know, right. 
chopping the body up to you know trash the evidence yeah only to find out that probably the woman was was alive was alive all along (laughs) yeah but you know i I think more tune in next week (laughs) (laughs) but like i think the more aftermath you know it suddenly became like those like wives tales that they that they tell people like you know to us kids like they tell us not to do certain things because definitely definitely and you know the chop chop lady eventually became that you know it warned women like oh no this is the consequences of affairs yeah definitely a very outdated uh at least to me it's a very outdated um notion it's that it's like it's more of like it's just it's just sad it happened definitely you know i mean i don't know like like it's such it's so strange too like you know like the 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 woman died of uh so-called and his first instinct was to chop up the body yeah like like, you know that's real sus like when I was the metro, I'm like, oh, oh, that's sus. So, like, oh, she died of a heart attack. Oh, she died of a heart attack. Guess I'm gonna chop up the body to yeah. get rid of the evidence. Like, what? If among what really happened, you know, you would call the you would call the hospital. What the fuck? <laughs> that's so strange. I'm like, if I was, you know, it's like, sus. but I don't. Yeah, but but I don't blame like the metro for like following along. Cause like, yeah. Oh, yeah, no. It's his uh, boss, right? It's his boss. He's probably, he's probably gonna kill me. Yeah, he's probably... <laughs> yeah, that too. You know, he's probably gonna stab him and shit. Yeah, like, he did it. You know, it... But he came through in the end, you know. Demetrio came through in the end and admitted, you know, the murder. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that takes balls, like, you know, to rat out your boss. But, like, you know. But I guess the guilt, guess you maybe... know, the, the guilt, that's... Uh, the The guilt... Over overrode the uh you know the fear. True, and you know he's he became an accomplice instantly when he you know, agreed to help dispose of it. So yeah. unwilling at uh, that though. Unwilling. Gotta give him credit. Yeah. You know. He was true, unwilling. True. But like, well, I think you know the the saddest part about all of this is like in both cases, like I got away with it essentially. In uh, excuse me, what? I you know, if you think about it, like in both cases, like the guy got away with it, essentially. Yeah. Though. Though honestly, I thought that uh, that the you know that Stephen Wiseman was the murderer. Mm-hmm. Stephen Wisehunt. Yeah, it wasn't Wise Wisehunt rather? Yeah, Stephen Wisehunt was the murderer, right? Though yeah, he was. Though this, yeah, but, you know, I think you know his sentence got commuted, so he got basically he like was he got free. Scot- yeah, he was got scot free. That's a disappointing. You know that just proves that you know justice is spotty here. You know, yeah. Rather, you know, justice is spotty in general. It's like it's like you you yeah. murdered you, you murdered and chopped someone an innocent, and you got an innocent woman. <laughs> And you got commu- and you got and you're sent free for good behavior? What the hell? Yeah, it's it's messed up. You know. Right, uh come on. 
Yeah, that just proves that apparently you can uh, you can randomly kill someone and uh, probably get away with it in the Philippines. <laughs> True, and you know, uh, yeah, you know, just thinking about it just makes me sad. Definitely, definitely. And yeah, just... and with that ends the latest episode of Rip from the Textbooks. Hope to. We hope to see you for the next one. And uh, thanks for watching.